for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Heck yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. Can you feel it? Oh, buddy. The excitement and anticipation out there is just buzzing. And for our first show of the year, yeah, we're coming out swinging, y'all. So many listeners are trying to decide where to hunt elk this year. And the questions, well, they've been rolling in. How do you even begin to pick a state? What factors do you look at deciding where you hunt elk? What are ways to break down a hunt unit to locate elk? When looking at a mountain, what do you see that others don't? So today, we answer those questions and lots more. And joining the crew today to help answer those questions is our special guest, Mr. Garrett Weaver from the On Point with Garrett Weaver podcast. So kick the tires and light the fires, y'all. That discussion, some Elk Bros shout-outs, and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? And they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right, we've got the Venezuelan Mafia in the house. From Katy, Texas, we've got Luis Gonzalez with a Z, you hear me? And we got <laughs> Manano Graterón from the DFW area. And with from Cimarron, we have got our elk hunting coaches, Joe Gillia 
and Leroy the Ninja Chavez and joining us in Elk Camp today. Let's give a warm Elk mm-hmm. Bros welcome tonight to our special guest from the On Point with Garrett Weaver podcast, one of the most passionate hunters you will ever meet, the voice himself, Mr. Garrett Weaver. Yeah. I don't know if I'm worthy of that, but we'll we'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely worthy. We had to give you a big old welcome. Yeah, I'm going to get a bigger door to fit my head through it now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they tell me all the time, Mr. Weaver. They got to get me like four X shirts so I can just get my head through (laughs) the top of it because the rest of it just falls down to my ankles, you know. (laughs) My head's so big, it stretches it all out. Oh my God. Garrett, <laughs> welcome to the crew, man. <laughs> Thanks. I think this is going to be a good, good, fun podcast, man. I appreciate you for having me on. Absolutely, yeah. brother. Yeah. And, and Garrett, man, uh, so that everybody else out there, you know, there, you've been doing this for a while. Um, probably one of the best guys at technical knowledge and, and knowing what is new, what's not, what's happening, what's this. And, and it's kind of interesting because I listened to you just recently. I think you were talking with Guy. And it's about this journey that you had this last year, how you were changing things as far as you were wanting to do more of what was making you happy, right? Yeah. You know? And uh, so a lot of people know you as that tech technical side and knowledge base and test review and i mean you're just chock full of information we were talking with you earlier and i mean the guys Luis is already like oh we're having this great time right that's right (laughs) like man let's nerd it out but you know for those people that have not listened or do not know you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah so um born raised uh Oregon, Roseburg, Oregon, near the coast, and uh, been hunting since I could walk, and and uh, started my boat hunting journey when I was in high school, pretty much completely on my own. I mean, I I was I was figuring it out through trial and error, and and um, found success pretty much every year with deer, but elk was always that big, you know, six hundred pound gorilla, that monkey on my back. I couldn't get it done right, and I just failed, 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 failed for probably I don't know six or seven years. I just got my butt kicked, and then. <laughs> and then, uh, just basically started putting some YouTube videos together of me shooting, um, some bows and, and it kind of just snowballed into what it is today. And, and people started asking questions and I started providing answers. And now it, yeah, it's a full blown addiction. I have a podcast, a YouTube channel. I got Instagram. I got it all. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, basically you could break it down into what my bio says. You know, I, I share my passion for bow hunting and I help others along the way, just got, just like you guys do. And, and, um, that's kind of where I'm at now. It's, it's, uh, it's been a really, really, uh, up and down roller coaster ride, but you know, we're, we're pretty much, I think we got a little bit figured out by now. We've been doing it for, oh gosh, 17. So I don't know. I don't know. Long well, how time. are you now, man? You like, I'm, like 13, <laughs> uh, 32. Yeah, he looks like a baby, dude. <laughs> I get Garrett, that a lot. And you, I get you that keep a lot. saying, you keep saying we. Yeah. Uh, me and, and, uh, my wife has, I worked, I, I put her, I put her through the ringer, man. She, uh, we've been together for over 10 years and, uh, she allows me to do everything. So I, I say we probably out of habit, but it's so really, really just, really just me. And, and I've got a few of my friends involved in bow hunting and they're all addicts now as well. And, and I, how long have you had your podcast, now. Mr. Weaver? Oh man, probably about ooh, three years. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, I, 
I haven't got as many episodes as you guys do. I, I, uh, shoot, I think I'm like one close to 120 now. Joe's but, a slave driver, brother. Yeah, man, I, I'm, uh, if I do it, you know, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. But yeah, it's, it's been fun. You guys, uh, I think you guys are much more professional than I am. I just do it more. Oh, good try. Good try. He says that now, but he's seen what that's goes on behind the scenes before we a, kick this thing off. I'm going to say that's such a terrible judge of character, Gary. <laughs> Okay, we thought a lot of you until you just said that. <laughs> Don't hit us with the P word. You know what? That, and that's what's so cool about this. Like when we have six guys like this, this is really why we do this is because it's like us being around a campfire together at L camp, man. So, yeah. you know, uh, if, if you have listened to some of the stuff that we do, um, we just enjoy each other's company. We just love doing, you know, talking. And ragging on one another. And <laughs> making, fun, making fun of one another. Yeah, but not just said going unleashed. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to, I, I got news for you. When I went on Guy Duplanche's podcast, straight up, you, you can go unleash the guy. He's, he's down. Garrett, he's Garrett down just, I think you're doing something like that right now, aren't you? Um, you pulled together some new- guys and just kind of let it flow. Uh, you know, if, if <laughs> I don't know if you, if you want people listening to that show, <laughs> it's a, if you're, if you got a dark sense of humor and you don't get offended easily, be my guest, listen to the show. But if it's got our last names man, and names I mean, written all over it, oh, listen, yeah, uh, we're, I mean, we're, the, we're not the who's who in podcast, but if you've listened to a Joe Rogan podcast on some of his stuff bro we can't get no more out there than yeah we, uh, we we get pretty far out there and look i love joe I, I, mean, I love his podcast because he just says what he feels <laughs> and no matter whether you agree with him or you don't man he's he's gonna put it out there and make people think and be uncomfortable or comfortable right so we all got a voice super important for us to use it for the right reasons and a platform uh I love Guy for, you know, using his platform for what he does. And, um, you know, I'll be really uh looking forward to listening to your podcast for sure, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Guy, I mean, he came up to me at uh, one of these shoots in Northwest Mountain Challenge and, and um introduced himself. And he's like, yeah, you know, it was just super cool. And then he is now cool. he's now for like, this is before the podcast. Now he's like the center of the spider's web. He's like just. I, he's connected me to a bunch like Joe and, right. and, uh, the, the guy is amazing. Straight up amazing. I can't say enough good, good things about guy, but he's, uh, um, yeah, he's, he's got, he's got a good nice, podcast. Man. Yeah. Bad I think your character, man, Bad <laughs> <laughs> he, he allowed me to actually rant a little bit. And so that kind of sparked the, uh, the, uh, the completely third party podcast I'm doing with a couple buddies and, <laughs> and it's, it's That's cool, uh, bud. It's yeah. I mean, if you if you got a dark sense of humor, go ahead and listen to it. <laughs> and now you also had probably one of your best years ever in the field. I mean, you this rocked year, it. yeah, yeah. And that was basically piggybacking off of the worst year I've ever had in, in, in the woods. <laughs> so, uh, how quick it can turn around. Huh, oh man, you know, I um I got screwed about every which way you could think of uh, in 2020, and and some of it, a lot of it. Most of it was self-inflicted, but, um, you know, I, I set myself up to have one of the best seasons ever. And then, then it just, I, I got humbled real quick and, uh, and boy, I, it just knocked me on my butt. I got to pack out, I don't even know if I got to pack out a bowl last year. Um, it was bad. It was really bad. And, uh, 
I just committed to myself. I was like, you know what? That's, that shit ain't happening again. I'm, yeah. I am. I, I mean, you know, I was so confident. I ate almost every piece of meat in my freezer to make room for all the meat I was going to put in there. <laughs> yeah, that's I, after yeah. the season, I'm like, shit, all I have is that bear I killed from the spring, you know, it's <laughs> like, that ain't, that ain't going to work. But, um, yeah, so this year's been pretty good, man. And, and y'all do uh, it all there. Y'all elk hunt, bear hunt, mule deer hunt. You know, Oregon is one of the most diverse states for, for, for species. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people really know that. I mean, we have, uh, two, three, four different types of deer. We have whitetail, Colombian whitetail, blacktail, and mule deer. I don't think a lot of states could claim that. I mean, we have a lot of different right. kinds of deer. Um, I mean, yeah, I, they I do it all here. Do what they was co-mingle? That? Do they co-mingle? Do you have a hybrid? Yeah. Um, some people would say no, but yeah, yeah, they do. I've, I've had tags where you've had to, to know what you're yeah. looking at before you yeah. pull the trigger. Um, I had a youth tag three times that was North Bank, um, just right over here, about half an hour. And, um, yeah, you weren't allowed to shoot. I don't think at that time you were allowed to shoot a hybrid. So you had to know that's a black tail. That's a white tail. That's probably a cross. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the white tail are more aggressive than the black tail. So it doesn't happen. I don't think very often, mm-hmm. but it, it does happen. And if you've never been to like, uh, if you've never been to that mid part of, Oregon there and even heading towards it looks a lot like New Mexico in that area. Mm. I mean, it's um except for New Mexico with real big rivers. <laughs> the rivers are <laughs> nice, you know, they don't have creeks like us. And then, you know, as they start heading towards uh out towards those eastern plains and over towards Hell's Canyon and that area over there, it's a, a lot different in that area. It's such a diverse state, really beautiful state, you know, and I mean, we, we were up at Crater Lake up there looking at one of the most magnificent sites I've ever seen in my life. Just, beautiful. you live in a beautiful state, bud. And, yes, it is. Yeah. You know, I, it was yeah. one of those places that when we went through it, I was like, hmm, I could live here. <laughs> this is, yeah. I, I lived Don't in Oregon it. for 10 <laughs> months and fell in Everybody love with I the know state. Is trying to get out. So, uh, <laughs> we're, don't, don't, don't do it. <laughs> there, there's yeah. hunting, there's better hunting to be had and, and there's better states to live in. So, but, um, you know, it's for a guy that, that grew up here, it's hard to leave. Um, mm-hmm. but I gave my wife a choice. I'm like, you know, Wyoming, Idaho, Alaska, I don't give a shit. You choose. Let's go. <laughs> And she's like, Alaska. And I'm like, you hate Alaska. You wouldn't want to go to Alaska. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, Oregon's, Oregon's really, I mean, it, right where I live, man, you have everything, everything. Well, I mean, the fishing, the rivers, the ocean. Yeah. I mean, how often do you, I mean, you guys, you know, like a lot of you guys probably don't get salmon or halibut right. or yeah. lingcod. I mean, I can go mm-hmm. get that almost. All year, all year round. Okay, so, it was nice yeah. having you on the show tonight. Yeah, yeah. Now, now we're now we're getting jealous, dude. So you have later. Right. You thin it out now. All right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask. This is important. Do you have hogs? Yeah, I was um, about to ask that. We have a very, very, very small population. Okay, of, see, I don't like. It. I don't care. Of what? Of, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody oh. says that they're there, but I think they're unicorns. I don't think. I don't think we have a population worth actually going after or taking vacation. Time. You don't want hogs in your state, dude, at hey, all. No, no. Oh, no, you do. I, I, take that. Yeah, you do. I, I've I mean, seen. I, I went and hunted them in California, and just seeing the devastation on the ranches, it was like holy crazy. crap. I thought people were like literally plowing the fields and rototilling the fields, but it was all hog damage. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Jesus I love Christ. it, man. That's <clears throat> I love to hunt them year year round. 
Yeah, but, uh, but he has a job where he has doesn't have to worry about it tearing up his farmland. <laughs> if he's a farmer, hey, I'm just he'd want, I'm just helping out. Farmer, he'd want him eradicated. I'm just helping out. Yeah, by yeah. killing no. them. We do have uh, some Owdad that escaped oh, some uh, yeah. some ranches, oh, wow. and, stuff, and I've been trying so, to get sheep. a on that. Yeah. But. Wow. Awesome, man. I hear, I, I hear the meat on those is not too good, though. It ain't. No, that's a lie. It's like sand, they say. Like sand? Sand. <laughs> Look, I've eaten it. I'm telling you, it don't taste nothing like sand. <laughs> that's what I heard. It, it so what does like it taste like? Sand, too. <laughs> it's like, it's like my boot leather. Yeah. Have you tried it, your boot yeah, leather before? Wasn't, yeah, wasn't very good. Yeah. I'm right. pretty hungry. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to, I, mean, I had friends that have eaten the ones that are here in New Mexico. Now, I mean, you figure it's, you know, it's like a big goat, but yeah. you know, uh, they liked it. They loved it. And so. Depends on what he's eating. Man. You know, if he eats nothing but sagebrush and stuff like that, it tastes pretty, pretty wild. But yeah. you know, if they, if they can get to the grasses and stuff mm-hmm. like that, then they'll taste a lot better. Yep. Mm. Well, let's do this, man. So we can get rocking and get ready to get to our content. We got a lot of things to talk about, uh, this evening. And, uh, oh, you know, you mentioned that about the Elk Bros mailbox. And, you know, I, I just want to tell everybody because we have Garrett and, and because this subject matter is going to rock, man, it's going to be pretty in depth here tonight. What we've done is we've been getting a whole bunch of these scenario questions from our listeners. Um, so. I'm collecting these and we're going to have a show of just going over these scenarios and answering people's scenario questions. Like we have, uh, Joel Adair from Santa Quinn, Utah, Jesse Carpinetti from McKinley, Texas, McKinney, Texas. I'm sorry. Uh, Chris Talbot from Las Lunas, New Mexico, David Zaystev from Vancouver, Washington, not too far from you there, Garrett. And, uh, so that's just a partial list. And the rest of you guys that have guys and gals that have issues or scenarios or questions about things that either happened to your season or happened to a friend of yours, if you can kind of send us an idea and give us kind of a mental picture of what was going on, you know, our perspective will be from how we visualize it. So if you can give that to us so that we can kind of get a good picture, we're going to try to go through those scenarios. It might end up being a little different than what you actually did, but it would be some great nuggets for people on maybe the process that we think what we would do and, and some of the things, how we would screw it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. We're going to be able to do that. So I just want to put that out there before you get us going there, Gil. No problem, guys. Well, y'all know what time it is. Shout it's time out. for the Elk Bros shout outs. Out. If you're new to our show, this is a shout out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Yeah. Oh, and we do have a video shout out, man. Um, so I'm going to make sure that we get this video shout out. So let me share the screen here. Here's a big shout out to the Elk Bros from Prudhoe Bay, Alaska in the oil field. It's Vinny. Thank all you guys for everything you do for us. It's greatly appreciated. Yeah, so that's Vinny Farrell out of Alaska. Thank you for the shout-out, Vinny. Thank you for the shout-out, Vinny. That's cool. Yeah, so um, remember, if you want to be part of our special video shout-outs, just get your cell phone, take a 10- to 15-second video. Now, do me a favor, man. I don't know why this is. I don't know if it's everybody's, like, Instagram-oriented or what it is, but instead of having that phone straight up and down like you're talking, to, turn it to that landscape mode, man. That way we get the full picture of what you do in there, all right? Did you hear Just that, Manana? 
10 to 15 second video of yourself in landscape view. Just email it to me, joe at elkbros.com or do it on Instagram to our Elk Bros Instagram and we'll get you on there. Come on, y'all. Show your face and celebrate your place. All right. Uh, Garrett, being our special guest, man, we yeah. want to hear a shout out from you, bro. What is it? Roseburg, Oregon. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just, I'll just say it where the men are men or sheep are scared. Or, uh, as Gilbert said, nervous. <laughs> nervous. Nervous. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Appreciate you guys for having me on, man. I really, I really do appreciate it. So, first up, Chav. Okay, uh, this top listening city is a suburb of Pensacola, located north of Pensacola Beach on the Fairpoint Peninsula. Known for great snorkeling, scuba diving, hiking, and bird watching. The Fort Pickens Area Park and the Gulf Islands National Seashores, a nationally protected park, are musty stops. The seafood is amazing. The beaches are inviting, and there is a 50-acre zoo. In 2021, it was ranked number one as a place to live and overall quality of life. And this is in Gulf Breeze, Florida. Gulf Breeze, Florida. Florida in the house. Could have put my nano to read I'm that. I'm so one. glad. I'm so glad you didn't give me the beaches. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> the sunny beaches. <laughs> hey, not, you know, I think all of us have been on the seafood diet yeah. since a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. This city name. This city was named as French as means sleekly. Early settlers. What was that? What was, it, it means what? Sickly. Oh, sickly. sickly. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Sickly. Just check it. Yeah. Early settlers in the area would become sick eating beaver meat. The beavers fed on the poisonous root of water hemlock that grew in the river. The beavers, over the time, became immune to the poison. The naturally occurring toxin in the animal flesh caused the sickness. This city has so many people of Welsh descent. The population is only second to Wales in the UK itself. This is going to Malad, Idaho. Malad, Idaho. Idaho. You can't, you're not allowed to travel back to Venezuela again, dude. How, <laughs> how in the world did they get you, sick on the beaver? You, you, because, because the they hemlock were, poison. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So the beavers were eating the hemlock trees yeah. and that was poisoning them? But not to the beavers. They, they, uh, they were, uh, they, they, they built an immunity to it. But the, yeah. they became but the settlers immune. that ate the meat weren't immune to the poison. I wonder if they, they weren't the eating. I wonder if they didn't cook it good enough. You know, that's wild. Yeah, wild. and only you know, it, <laughs> it's only the beavers be, in Idaho. It was only areas where that that hemlock grew, man, because the oh, hemlock really? is poisonous. So that's and, so cool. That's so I mean, cool it's kind of like that same symbiotic relationship. You like that word, Gilbert? Symbiotic. Oh, symbiotic. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Go, Joe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you <laughs> thought about that one. It, I bet it took you a week. See, the thing is, yeah. Beto comes up with those like in five minutes. <laughs> so I mean, like it, you can hear a cacophony of sounds going on as we're talking. Last time about. was eclectic. Eclectic, eclectic and then the trenaceous. Everybody, so they named the town sickly, huh? <laughs> well, Joe, our next top listening city, a northern neighbor in province of British Columbia, is located south of the Fraser River and north of the U.S. Canadian border. Every summer, it hosts the Canadian Cup, International Women's Fast Pitch Tournament. Ninety-three thousand. I repeat. 93,000 people attended the nine-day event. 
It also hosts a Winterfest, which features a day of music, sporting activities, food, and fireworks. Over 15,000 people attend the event at the Central Plaza there in Surrey, British Columbia. Surrey, British Columbia. Surrey, yeah. British Columbia. So, but fast pitch, girls? You fast pitch, it? girls, fast it? pitch, brother. And you know, it may be even, it, it's women's fast pitch. So they, they didn't say men's because they have a men's division too, but. Okay. Yep, women's fast pitch tournament. Yeah, I've never, I've never been up there to the Canadian a, Cup. That's a lot of folks going to watch that tournament right there. Absolutely. 93,000 cool. is a boatload. And we want to, you know, give a thank everybody over there in British Columbia, man. And, uh, I, I'd like to hunt moose. So y'all give me a shout out. Yeah, some man. Somebody hit us with some, <laughs> some moose information. <laughs> Absolutely. Luis. Next up, originally known as Spring Place, this city changed its name to honor the fifth president of the United States. Claims the title of being the city of governors. Having furnished seven men who have gone on to become governors of Georgia and a native son who went west and became governor of Texas. Originally, it was part of the Cherokee Indian Territory before it was colonized in the early 1800s. Monroe, Georgia. Monroe, Georgia in the house. Man, it's a, you take a look, man. We had a lot of East showing up in this. Absolutely. Room. Heck, the next one's from the East, too, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. This city is known for its Civil War history. A lot of those back East are, man. One of the fastest-growing cities in the country. It's located in the Nashville metro area and is just 34 miles from downtown Nashville. The Stones River National Battlefield site next to the Stones River Cemetery was home to one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. The battle had a combined 23,500 casualties. It was once named Cannonsburg, then changed to a, to a form of its current name after the Revolutionary War hero, Colonel Hardy Murfrees. And that's Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Murfreesboro, Tennessee in the house. Our brothers to the east. Oh, man. Uh, it's so cool to see that, you know, when we go in out there and we look at those top listeners for the week, you know, we kind of see who's hitting it sometimes right away first off. And, oh, I, and, and it's it's so cool to see these people over there. Maybe it's because they're a little bit ahead of us. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, but man, they were cranking on the listens. And I, I have to make this announcement, man. Our top 10 listening overall, Denver went past Dallas, bro. Thank you, Denver. Venezuela once and we lose the top spot, dude. What's <laughs> up, dog? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dallasons. Let's go. Yeah, Get what's up, Manano, man? We know it isn't you, Manano. I'm going to have to make my polls. Okay. <laughs> you make some calls. Got you. Yeah. Be your people with their people. Got it. Yeah. I'll, I'll be absent. So that's why. Absent. No, yeah. you know, Gary, hey, over there. I got to tell, I got to say, we, we videoed FaceTimed Manano when he was down in Venezuela and to see the joy in his family's face that he was there with his nieces and stuff like that. Yeah. Way too cool to see him down there with his family. He yeah, was so happy. Blast. You could tell. I know he really wanted to be with us hunting too, but he was torn um, to going home and seeing his yeah. family. And I had two years without seeing my parents. I know, brother. And, and look, uh, 
I know how bad it is down there. I just want you to know that we're praying for all those people down there. So thank you, Beto. Uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, we we love you guys and support you. And uh, in Venezuela, and we hope we can help get somebody here in our country that reach out and help. You know, they were only yeah, smiling. Thank you very much. They were yeah. smiling, Gilbert, because they were happy to see another face other than his, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he's kind of El Jefe when he gets down there, man. Oh, oh yeah. Out of him, man. So where, like where does your height come from, Manano, man? Like when you take pictures with the family, it's like Manano and then everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, my father is pretty high. My father is, uh, he's at least six one or something. He's pretty tall. He's not high. Tall. Well, he's, <laughs> Just, I just want to clarify for, for Mr. Raul. I apologize. Yeah, no, yeah. he meant from, tall. From time, okay, from time to time, he's high too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. We ain't, we ain't judging, brother. Oh, we we ain't judging. We you do him. you, Mr. Raul. All right, Raul. here we go. <laughs> Our show topic tonight, man. And we've been getting so many emails in from people. And like I said, a lot of those were scenario based, but all of these other kind of packaged up because they were all based around the same thing. It's that new year, right? And everybody now that, you know, they've done the Christmas thing and now the new year's thing. And now everybody's starting to shift gears and they're looking at, and you have to, I mean, there's states already that have had draws for, and we call it a draw. It's supposed to be like, you know, for over-the-counter tags, it's basically a draw there in Idaho that was done, you know, for, for people wanting over-the-counter. Um, there's other draws that are hitting, coming on the horizon, that kind of spread out there. So everybody is looking at what they're going to do, you know, if they have this elk hunting dream or if they've done it a couple years, if they've done it for 15 years, everybody now is looking at what am I going to be doing this season. It's something that – um Every hunter out there can relate to. So, but one of the things that we got that really kind of rung this home for me was when I got one where a guy said, how in the heck do you even pick a state to hunt? You know? And I mean, and when you think about it, I mean, when we live in an elk state, it, that's an easy decision for us. You know, uh, Garrett. Why, why don't we start there, Joe? Why don't we say which are the elk states? Because honestly, I mean, I know of a few, but I don't know all the states that actually have elk. Well, m- most people are going to think west, right? When mm-hmm. they think elk states, even though, you know, we talked about like how Kentucky, New Mexico Kentucky. has a lottery here. We have like one of the only pure lotteries of being able to get an elk tag. But there's another state out there like that, Kentucky. Yeah. You know, you can, and I think it doesn't hardly cost anything to put in for that one, for that draw there, if I remember correctly. And you get an opportunity to hunt some incredible size bulls in Kentucky. So, you know, Kentucky. Um, and and we're we, talking, we're talking public land, elk hunting access, right? Correct. So, so going back to the states, we're talking Kentucky, we're talking Colorado. Uh, Oregon, Idaho, New Mexico, Washington. Wyoming, Montana. Washington, Montana. Montana. You said Pennsylvania Arizona. as well. Pennsylvania, <laughs> you can draw a tag. <laughs> yeah. 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 Arizona. Arizona. Um, uh, and I'm trying to think. Well, we, the Dakotas. Oklahoma. Oklahoma has some on state yeah, land now the as western. well. How about uh, the Dakotas? Yes. Yes. 
the Dakota shoot, but you know, and I know, I know Cole was deer hunting in Nebraska and he saw elk in Nebraska. And I don't know, does Dakota have, um, a draw for people out of state though? I'm don't not know. sure. That, don't know. If that's happening, but Dakota is not thought about as an elk destination. Right. When you start thinking elk destinations, mm-hmm. most people, most people are going to be looking at going down that line, man, Montana, Wyoming, Rocky Mountain, Colorado. New Mexico, Wyoming, Arizona, Utah, Nevada is another state. Uh, Utah, Nevada, well, yeah. right? Utah, um, and Nevada. of course, you got Oregon and Washington over there. And mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, I, I was going to say earlier when we were talking about listeners and listening, base, we get a huge listening base from Washington and Oregon. Oh yeah, so, uh, we sure appreciate that. Man, all those people that live around you, Garrett, man, they've been yeah, they've been checking it out. Solid. So, so let me I ask represent. You, Garrett, <laughs> with you here, you know, you have hunted elk out of state. You've hunted a lot of animals out of state, right? Um, I just started hunting out of state a few years ago. Um, but I've, I've, I've been able to kind of develop my own little process for figuring it all out and stuff. I wish I would have started when I was like 20, but, um, so yeah, I've, I like this year I hunted Idaho, uh, Wyoming and Oregon. Um, last year, I think it was California or was that two years ago, but I've been branching out. My goal is to hunt all 50 states eventually with a bow and kill, kill an animal in all 50 states and, and every continent. So that's, that's my long-term goal, but yeah, so I'm, I've been, I've been branching out. Yeah. So for somebody that has never gone to one of these Western states, looking from the outside in and, and, you know, we are probably the closest to being able to think about this because we went out of state for the first time. But if somebody said, how in the heck do you even begin to pick a state to hunt elk? What's some of the factors and stuff? What's some of your thoughts that come out on that? Well, I think, I think that per individual, you can narrow it down just by looking at your own situation. And so if you, and I've, I've got some, some things that I just jotted down here, but, uh, like if you start with a budget, you start with a time frame of when you can go, what's your schedule going to allow, and what type of method of take you're going to want to go with. You, you hunt with a muzzleloader, you hunt with a bow, a rifle, what are you doing? You're going to be able to narrow that down onto certain areas that are going to be able to be the best for you. So like if you're wanting to go with a muzzleloader, Oregon's pretty, pretty darn traditional. I mean, we're not Stone Age, but we just started allowing a few years ago um, fiber optic sites, you know, so like... Right. We're still, uh, I think this year they actually might have changed it to where you don't have to have an open breach. There's a little bit of a confusion there, but, um, so method to take and, and then looking at for me over the counter opportunities, cause I don't want to take, you know, Wyoming, it take a few years to get a decent tag in Wyoming. Um, I think I've got three points and I'm still waiting. I'm probably waiting another three to four years. In so that's something that you just mentioned though, dude, that a lot of these people coming from these, especially if they're going on their first hunt and they've never been on an elk hunt, a point system is something that's totally foreign to them. Oh, okay. You know what um, I mean? So yeah, so point systems, um, I think, I think if you're just starting out, you're going to want to go to opportunities where you can just go hunt. Don't even really have to worry about the point systems. Me personally, there's too many states. Um, I actually have files on my computer, Idaho, Wyoming, like just to help keep track of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I use and, and I'm not paid by them or anything, but I, I use the crap out of the website is, is go hunt. Mm-hmm. I use the living crap out of that website. That is probably the number one tool you can buy 
if you're wanting to go learn about hunting estate and then what each unit has individually, it does a lot. It does probably half the legwork for you just by buying the membership and then clicking on a state and then learning. You can kind of just take hours. You can take hours and spend time on there. Um, but for me, if you're, if you're wanting to go and you're willing to, to, to build points, then points basically, um, every year you don't draw, you get another point and it takes, you know, a lot of these units will take, you know, some of them like in Oregon. Um, some of my buddies just spent 20 points, uh, getting some of the tags here in Oregon. So, and, uh, so was that 20 years of points or was that 20, opportunity 20 years. to buy points as well along with the years, right? No, it's, it's, you get one point a year in Oregon See, and it's I, 20 years. I just got done uh, doing a show with yesterday with Guy and I'm like, I'm so anti points. I mean, I don't want to even play that game. I, there's, there's no Figured. way where I want to start collecting and hope to hunt someplace in 16 years. You know, uh, now if right. I was maybe, 1820, <laughs> that might be a little bit different. It took me 13 years to draw my first antelope tag. I just put in for the first time in Wyoming and drew it. <laughs> you know, like it's just, if you, if you, if you're going after a specific animal, there's better states to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure, but, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the draws. It always, it always ends up into a bottleneck. There's really no way around it. My, my theory and, and probably getting into the weeds here is that you need to go to a, like kind of the way that, um, Idaho does it. But my, my opinion change it a little bit to where every year you don't draw, you get an extra ticket into the raffle. So hmm. it's not like you get preference points. It's more like more oper- – it's like your name's in the hat more often. So if you went five years without drawing, you have five entries in that tag. you know. And if you don't draw, you next year you have six. And so- I think that's that's a way to do it. It's, it's a completely random draw, but you the more unsuccessful you are, the better your odds get. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, I, I saw people that was that was doing that – um, that system and I mean that was a pretty frustrating system the online draw as well you know mm-hmm. because the the problem okay so what you talked about is is you mentioned things like mode the mode of hunting um you know ease you know being able to get the opportunity like if you want to go and you said OT, over the counter OTC those states yeah. that have that so what states right now have OTC that you can um, well, the uh, Oregon just changed this year. So, um, I wouldn't even say Oregon right now, unless you wanted to come over to the West side mm-hmm. and get your butt kicked by a Rosie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest starting on Rosie's. Um, but so Idaho does, um, Colorado, I believe does Montana, um, Wyoming. I don't think, I don't know if they do or not. I don't think they do. Um, I'm still learning a lot of the other states, but right. you know, if, if I was going to, if I was going to start looking at hunting elk, I would break it down into Idaho, Montana, or Colorado. Those would be basically my three that I would go look at. Number one. Right. Um, I think because of over the counter opportunities, because right. the over counter opportunities, they don't have over counter opportunities in Utah. Yes, they do. I, yes. I don't know. Yeah. I know that's probably a pretty expensive state to hunt though. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they give their tags away for. For cheap, um, mm-hmm. I've heard they're pretty there. expensive. Yeah, in but, fact, they just they just um just the other day actually approved because they were going to get away from the OTC tags in Idaho, and they still approved for them to have the OTC. And in I and I'm sorry, in Utah, in Utah has um a lot of like spike opportunities, you know, to be able to hunt uh, spike bulls and and you know the thing is, it's also like not only what weapon you're going to use, but what type of elk are you going to be hunting, right? And and here's another thing to think about. Are you going to be hunting solo? You're going to be hunting with a partner? You're going to be hunting with right. a group. 
because you take, for example, that over-the-counter system that they have in Idaho is almost like being in a draw. And you have to each, if you have four people that want to hunt together in a group, you're all trying to go into that electronically to be able to get one of those tags. And you're going to be put in at different places. And your chances of all you guys getting a tag together in the same place are pretty slim to none you know, uh, for that. Now, if there's some leftover over the counter tag for some of the less desirable areas, you can be able to do that. So when you take a look at areas like, I'm not sure how Montana's OTC works as well. I haven't looked into that that much, but it, what you have to do is if you're going to try to, like when you say, what state do you even start at? You have to look at opportunity. You have to look at opportunity. You have to look at your time. You have to look at your distance. Like, so we looked at possibly going to Idaho this year. That was one of those states that we looked at, right? Mm-hmm. Because there mm-hmm. were some tags that you could have got up there and, and done that. But what kind of drive would that be for you, Manano, and you, mm-hmm. Luis, from four hours. Long one. It, yeah, Today. over 30 hours, man. 24 yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah we yeah. just have to fly. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Fly. Now, yeah, <laughs> fly. Yeah. Uh, that, that would be impossible. <laughs> you got to rent on a, on a whole plane to bring all his shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we have people from the East that, you know, they've got to come out 20 something hours. Man, they do that. That's how they get out. But for us, because of the convenience of the closeness of other elk states, why would I drive through Colorado sometime to go all the way another 20 hours someplace? 100%. I think you're passing up good elk hunting going farther west, you know, and, and, and people who live in Colorado are like, dude, shut up. But, you know, Colorado is the elk capital of, of the USA. It has been for many, 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 many years. It's also getting inundated with hunters too. And, and, and I just know that a lot of folks, um, are trying to go find that backcountry experience and they're going out there and they're getting boot tracks, boot tracks, boot tracks. It's like, man, you know, it's, it's, it's with all these apps like Onyx and stuff, it's getting really hard to find originality out there in the woods and original idea. And so it just comes down to. There aren't any. It's, yeah, I mean, I found that out in Wyoming and I found that out in Idaho this year. I was, uh, hunting some areas in, in Wyoming where it was like very, very, very limited public land for antelope. And there would be these land bridges of like 300 yard strips of BLM that would lead you for quite a few, like a quarter mile. And then it would lead into like giant swaths of BLM, but you had to take that land bridge of public. I'm like, no one's going to freaking be back here. I get back there two or three miles and it's like, Four dudes coming back out. I'm like, man, like, how am I going to get this? How am I going to get it done back here? You know, and I'm like, everybody's got the same ideas and, and people are willing to get out and hunt harder. And I think they, they were just, you know, just a few years ago. I'm, I'm seeing boot tracks seven or eight years ago. I'm seeing boot tracks where I never seen them before. I mean, it's, it's getting real hard to get original out there in the woods. And so, um, I would go where there's, where there's, uh, you know, I, I, Colorado's on my list to go. Uh, Montana, Montana's on my list to go. And Idaho's the closest other state to me outside of Washington, mm-hmm. which Washington and Oregon are pretty similar. Um, so uh, that doesn't really appeal to me too much. But, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think that if someone was going to narrow it down, I'd narrow, I'd narrow it down to those three states personally. Those would be mine. So, so basically when people say how to pick a state to hunt elk, basically the state picks you. 
is kind of what I'm saying, you know, uh, by the opportunity it has, um, you know, when that hunt is, you know, uh, scheduled as far as, you know, when that season is for the particular weapon that you want, that can determine that because there are different seasons. I used to think because we only hunted New Mexico, I thought everybody's elk season was from September 1st to September 24th in, in that area or split up somehow like that, or at least in the month there. Well, you got some that are starting in the middle of August. You have some that you know, that are going all the way through it. And some of them are in October. It just depends. So um, depending on what your schedule looks like, how many days you have, do you have three or four days? How much drive time is it going to take? How many of you are going to hunt? What is your budget? So, you know, what is 100%. those, what are those licenses going to cost you? Right. So. Yeah. I, and, and like, and like you're pointing out, like the individual needs of the hunter, I think are going to steer them in the right direction too. So like if you're wanting to go and you can't get around very good, Idaho's pretty freaking rugged, man. I mean, the areas that I hunt, it's, it, I mean, I'm tired after four days and, and that's just going 10 to 13 miles a day and some steep stuff that wears you the heck out. And so it's like, man, I, I, I would say that there's, there's better, you know, Montana's uh, got, I'd say probably has some nicer ground based off of what I've seen and learned and talked to and, and Colorado's got some good ground, but Idaho, I mean, I'm sure you could find some nice areas to hunt in Idaho, but the everywhere I've been in Idaho, Holy crap. If you can't get around very good, I'd look at a different state. And so if you're, um, if you're, yeah, if you're a back, uh, back country kind of guy, or if you're like me, like I'm a, I'm a day front country, I guess, kind of guy, if you will. And I like to come back to camp every day and hang out and, and have a beard and, and, and go back out. You know, like I, I hunt maybe eight mile swaths, you know, every day and, and, and come back to camp. And so that limits me to what kind of stuff I want to hunt. And so, um, I don't know if you guys, I'm, I'm sure you guys probably all use Onyx or some type of map system. Um, the way that I start narrowing these things down. Yeah. Is, is, I mean, who, who here calls biologists? I do. I call more and I don't leave, I don't hang my hat on usually this is my motto for everything, but don't hang your hat on one, you know, call more than one. Um, what if that person's not a hunter? There's quite a few biologists that you believe that don't hunt or, uh, folks that maybe aren't for logging that work for the forest service. There's a lot of those folks out there, right? So, um, you got to make sure that you're talking to the right biologists just because you called the, the correct one doesn't mean you got the right one. So, um, you know, call the biologists and, and I have a whole list. I even had like two years ago, I took a video of me, um, recording a phone call I had with a biologist so people could see all the questions, all the areas that I hit that I'm worried about. Right. So like, uh, I don't know if you guys want me to dive into this yet or not, but I can, I can kind of go through some of the things that I look for. But, um, so if I'm talking to a biologist, like, uh, you know, first things first is, and, and this is, it? this is once you have the state and you're trying to determine have a state. where to hunt within that state, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, that your individual needs are going to jump out at you. And if you, if you buy an app like Go Hunt, it's, it's a little spendy, but if you're spending that much money, 150 buck investment into a couple thousand dollar investment of a hunt is well worth it. And you're protecting your investment when you do that. And I do not get paid by them. I'm not affiliated with them in any way. Um, I just, I just use the crap out of that app. And so, um, you can go on there and you can do pretty much all the research you need to figure out, um, what your schedule and what, you know, type of method of take is going to work best for you. That'll tell you what state to really go, honestly. And, and, and to me, there's three states. 
that, 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 I, you know, but also depending on where you live, that probably changes the factors too. This but is once a you go have, hunt you're talking about? Go hunt. Yeah. And is this, uh, only for the U.S.? Um, it's, uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah it, it doesn't have any international information in it. I don't think so. No, it's, it's pretty much all 50 so, states. So anything in Canada, it won't. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. No. And, and one thing I wanted to throw in there too is that another thing that might gauge where you go is if you have a connection to that state. I mean, if you have somebody out there that's saying, yeah, you know, I know this place and, you know, won't you come out here for the first time and, you know, we can pick up this tag. You know, if you have any, any connection where somebody say, yeah, come stay with me, I'll show you around or I have experience in this place, you jump on that, you know, because. 100%. You, you have mentorship, you have a connection, you have somebody that knows the land, they know the people, they're local. So it's, uh, it, it, it creates a whole different experience for you too. So that might be something that takes you someplace. So I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but. No, no, no. And that's, you know, that's part of that, you know, individual, uh, you know, individual each, each person scenario is like, if I have that person, I'm calling, that's the first call I make. I mean, yeah. you can't beat local knowledge. And I, and I had a tip in here. I was kind of hesitant to put, um, in here, cause it's a secret of mine. I, I use, I, but I'll, I'll share, I'll share it for the good of the podcast. But, um, so when I talk to a biologist, I, I ask, you know, what are the, what are the factors that I'm worried about as a hunter? How is winter? How is, you know, is there any drought? Is there any disease? Is there any anything, anything impacting the herd? Is there, is there a pack of wolves that moved in? You know, what, what do I need to know as a hunter that maybe had changed the scenario from this year, from last year? And what's the forecast for this year? What elevations are you finding these elk this time of year? Cause maybe September is going to be way different than December. I mean, if I'm in there in a late hunt in January, I'm, I'm hunting a completely different elk, right? Like, so what elevation are you finding these elk in? What are you mainly seeing them doing, uh, feeding or, you know, in, in this area, are they feeding on what, uh, are you getting a lot of pressure? What's the hunter success rate? Um, I've got some others written down here too, but there's, there's, um, what kind of water sources do you have in that area? Is it a lot of water sources? Cause then I'll know when I'm going online to Onyx and stuff, I'm going to focus on springs. I'm going to focus on where two or three drainages come together and form those marshy little areas that elk love to hang out in. I mean, it's pretty easy to find elky areas when you start thinking like an elk. And if you know that there's a drought, that it makes it even easier. You can just, Asking all these little questions um, is just another piece of the puzzle. When you start putting these pieces in there, you don't really have to know the whole puzzle, but when you start putting these pieces in there, you know where to go, right? Like when you start moving towards these resources, they're going to start presenting themselves to you. Well, that's what I need to look into now, right? Like, oh, well, that guy just said this giant pack of wolves just moved in here. The elk shut up. They all went on to private over on Bob's place near town. And, and now they're just not there anymore that time of year. Well, probably don't hunt there, hunt somewhere else. Well, and a big key to what you said is that, and I want people to key in on this, is that Garrett didn't go, um, where are you seeing the elk? But you can get that information. Like when you say, is there a wolf pack that is that is affecting a herd? And they say, well, over in such and such, this pack has done this and moved those animals over to such and such, right? So you actually get information another way by asking intelligent questions about how it's affecting the herd. And anytime a biologist talks about something that's affecting a herd, they're generally going to talk about the herd name, where the herd's location is at. And that leads you into other things that shows you've done your homework when you, talk, when you start talking about elevation. Like, you know, just like on our hunt this year, 
you know, Luisa Manano, immediately you guys pegged elevation, right? That, that was a pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, you know, we, we noticed that once we got to a certain elevation, the sign considerably increased. Yep. Um, and then it, okay, so that was the first day. 10, the second day. Huh? 10,600. Yeah, 10,600. And then, you know, it was consistent every day. Uh, even on this, on the same ridge, but different side of the ridge. Um, at same elevation, that's after that point, it was consistent every day. So, that's... but three weeks later, it was 11.6. Yes. Three weeks later. Yeah. So, I mean, the animals are making movement according to what's happening with pressure and what's happening pressure. with dryness, yeah. what's happening with moisture, all of those yeah. things. So that's why those are intelligent questions that you're asking like that. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's, there's more. I mean, you know, like if there's any private, areas private chunks in the areas that and, and by the way i i'm coming to the biologist with areas that i already have in mind right right I, if you go to the if you go to the biologist saying where do i go that conversation is going to go about <laughs> half as good as where i'm looking in here 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 and here what do you think am i making a mistake what do i need to know and then if i think that person is going to be way more apt to help you out than somebody that just says he's going to send you to where he sends 50 other guys, right? Yeah. Like it, it's, you're going to get that. But if you go to where deer mountain is and I'm like, I'm looking right here on the four service yeah, I think 13 there, or whatever. I think there needs to be a sense of him realizing that you've done part of your homework, right? 100%. You know, it's like, Absolutely. it's one of those like, okay, this high, this guy is definitely doing his homework. He's got the right questions. You know, you know, he's willing now to invest the time to, you know, share some of those nuggets yeah. with you, right? You know, right. And, and I can tell you right now, the ones where I I had all my information ready and I had done the homework, those conversations, a hundred percent of the time, have gone better than me just calling somebody. I called one the other day, and it it didn't go very well. I was just fishing. I was just fishing. I was like, I hadn't even got on the computer. I just called the biologist. I was excited. You know, I was like, I'm gonna go over here, and then. He's like, pretty much, I could tell he's like, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> just, he didn't give me anything, right? And so, um, I'm sure he was probably a hunter, but, um, so it just, if you do a little bit of diligence and, and I, I just, I believe that you're going to be having way better conversations and, and good questions usually lead to good answers. If you're just like, where are the elk at? <laughs> yeah. Up in the mountains. Over here where I sent the last 50 guys, right? Yeah. And so you know, and I can, I can tell you that even works with. That even works with other hunters, man. I mean, we get, please do not send us emails, guys, asking where to go. <laughs> so we get tons of that saying, you know, well, I'm coming to New Mexico for the first time, you know, tell me where's the best place. And man, it just, um, we just, first of all, we don't have that kind of time, you know, to be able to do that. But, you know, I have had people that have sent and they had, uh, an area pegged out. And what they had already figured were some of the best areas and described them. And, and me having known one of those areas very well, I was like, holy crap, somebody figured that out all the way doing, um, yeah. you know, their proper homework from yeah, that yeah. area. And I was like, mm-hmm. and I had to call a person. And I'm like, you know, you're spot on, you know, you trust in yourself. I didn't have to tell them anything other than, you know, you go hunt, baby. Yeah, go hunt. <laughs> go hunt, baby. And, yeah. and I think, I think a lot of people, when they learn what to look for, and we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes, when they learn what to, learn what to look for, um, then it just becomes this confidence thing. It's like, 
well, I just need some reassurance, you know. And if you want that kind of reassurance, there's places you can find that. There's places you can do that. And I can tell you anytime, like, you know, forums are a hard place to go. Right. Um, but yet I've seen people go on a forum that talked with some sense about some certain things without, like you said, just going and fishing like, hey, where can I go? Where's your hotspot? Right. Mm-hmm. They've gone in with some information and talked about certain things like what's happening as far as the drought, what's happening with this, what's happening with that. And then when other people see that they have been doing the work, they're like, they'll get just DM me. Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know? And and that that's a great lead right there. And and I'll tell people. If you want to find out about elk hunting and you want to find out good places, don't go on an elk hunting forum. Go on a deer hunting forum. Go on a, a grouse hunting forum. You know, go where other people are going into these areas in that country and they're seeing these things, but you're not stealing their hotspot, man. They can kind of tell you what they've been seeing if they're deer hunting, if they're archery hunting deer during that time of year. So. Yeah, yeah. You, you can find those kind of relationships. I even tell people like, you know, uh, when, if you're in an area and you're going through there, going to the diner, the local diner in there and you're talking with like, is like, man, I had to dodge an elk the other night. Is there any other place I got to worry about out here where they're crossing all the time? <laughs> yeah. Down there by mile 13, you better be careful when you go through. And it's like, yeah. you know, you can find out information in a lot of ways. Uh, Department of Transportation, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to be able to do that without swamping, you know, and and just fishing and ask people to give me your best places out there. Just right. do your work. Be diligent. Right. Yeah. I mean, people, people, I hear it all the time. And, and some of the stuff I do is do your own research. Like if you keep using what everybody else is using, you're probably going to come up with the same same results are very similar results, right? I mean, if you're, if you're just following what all you're checking all the boxes, you're doing all this. If you, one thing that I do, um, and you're, and you're, you're giving away my secret there, Joe, is, is I, I infiltrate <laughs> groups and, yeah. and on Facebook. And so I'm very specific. Like if I'm looking at, um, Idaho and this area, I join a very specific hunting group for that area. Right. And I just, I'm just a fly on the wall and I'm just seeing what kind of animals are coming out of there. And what's the success rate? And I'm listening, I'm listening to all the, uh, locals talk about how good or bad it was or how much the pressure was. I'm, if I'm, I, you know, I'm doing this two, two, three years ahead of time. Like I've been on part of these, some of these groups. I've never even posted on them, but I'm right. in there and I'm checking every once in a while, just seeing, okay, okay, maybe I do need to go over here. And, and, and I think if people, you know, I, I'm giving away my secret here, but if people just started going and doing that in, in a very, the very small niche groups of hunting groups, um, you can, like you said, a deer group or something like that. Um, or yeah, well, a lot, like a lot of ones is Oregon, Oregon blacktail hunters, right? Whatever. Yeah. That's a pretty specific group. Oregon, Southern Oregon blacktail <clears throat> hunters is what I'd be looking for. Right. And so I, I, I'm, I'm quite a few member of all these pages, but yeah. But see, but see, the thing is, is you can tell, you, you can tell people to do this. They still have to be willing to put in the time and the work. hundred percent. Right? You know, like 100%. that. And, yeah. and the thing that I want to tell people too is, is that if you're talking about one of these elk states, if you're talking about other than you have to be specific or you have to be realistic in, in the type of country you're going to hunt, whether that fits your physical abilities or not, like what you were talking about in Idaho. That's one thing that we do as a group is we try to find country that can that all of us can hunt and all of us can have that ability to be successful in it. But I'm telling you in a Western state, 
I think you could pretty much go to any unit, and if they are selling elk tags in that unit, there are elk in that unit. So, you know, you should be able to go anywhere. And if you understand how, like you said earlier, it was elky. So I think that is the one term that we have to get people to understand or, you know, or have that skill set. You know, how can they, cause they look at mountains and they see mountains, man. They, you know, uh, I, I think I used this analogy yesterday with Guy. It's kind of like my wife likes to do puzzles, right? So if you have a thousand piece puzzle, and you pour it out on a table and you take the cover of what that puzzle looks like and you put <laughs> it away, man, to put those pieces together, it's like, what the heck goes where, right? Right. Well, but when you have that thing and you can pick up a piece and you can compare it to what it looks like right there on that cover, now I've just eliminated probably 950 some pieces in an area that I can start looking. So really, if you understand what things look elky, you can eliminate a lot of other area that doesn't contain elk or doesn't look like it contains elk and you focus right. on those ones, right? So for, for our guys here, I, and there's a couple things I, I'm going to ask you guys in here. And one of them is going to be like, if you had to decide right now to go to some state to hunt elk, and this is the elk bros here. If you had to go to some state, what are some of the factors that are going to lead your decision as far as what state you're going to look at to go to and why? And then the other thing that I, I want each of you to, to kind of pull out is, is what's one thing that when you look at an area, it talks back to you that there's elk in that area that makes it look elky. Okay. You know, because that's one of those things that even I believe somebody can go on a map and be able to tell some things that are going to be elky, especially if you look at 3D maps. And it's because of the things that you were talking about, Garrett. You know, when you start looking at things like how drainages are coming together, right? If I see a crow's foot in a drainage area, <laughs> right, dude, I mean, that, that screams elk to me. Because mm -hmm. now you have three drainages coming down to one area. It's going to flatten out. Water. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. you know, water or big field, big park. Now, and when you talk about big field, big park, the other thing is I look at those fields, those parks, and what's feeding into it as far as finger ridges. And then I look at what kind of saddles are feeding into that for elk to be able to have ease of travel to go into that. And especially if that saddle can take them over from wherever they're feeding, wherever they're having that area that they're in their night beds, and then go to a day bed where they can go through a saddle and drop off the other side and be on a north face. Because a lot of people think when they look at drainages, they think that elk are only going to be in that drainage where they're feeding, but that's not the case. No, elk will go up that. and yeah. they'll drop over to the other no, side. And they'll right. travel quite a ways, too, to do it. They, If they don't have to, they won't. But no. if, especially if they're feeling pressure or things like that, that they, were, that they will. Okay? And because one of the questions that we got is this, Garrett. How can deciding where to hunt elk in a state not be like finding a needle in a haystack? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I mean, I can talk, I can help tackle that if you want, but we already, we already dove into a bunch of it. Yeah. I mean, you Absolutely. can narrow a lot of it down by elevation, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, Oregon, Oregon did studies and I didn't really agree with the study, but I don't know how, I guess I could disagree with it, but Oregon did a study where elk, um, and deer and, and their interactions with roads. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were saying that elk were farther away from the roads than the deer, than the deer were and that they stayed farther away. And I'm like, Dude, I've had some of my best hunting listening to highways and cattle guards. Just zoom, 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 zoom. I'm like, which bull you want to go after? There's six of them right here, and no one else is here hunting it. I'm like, so I, I think that elk will always surprise you as well. Um, and, and taking the the areas that do look good for for granted just because there's a highway right there, I think that's a mm-hmm. that's a really big mistake too. And and and. Like I said, one of my best favorite honey holes is the easiest spot you can ever hunt. A guy in a wheelchair could pretty much hunt it. I mean, it is so easy to hunt. Where was and that? The spot I killed my, <laughs> the spot I killed my largest bull. We heard. Yeah, I, 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 moving. Yeah, I agree. So. I agree with Garrett. Uh, in, in one thing is really impressive, uh, about predators. Uh, animals like deers and elk, they learn that the predators they are scarce of highways or house or, or, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, populated areas. Right. So that's one thing. That's why probably elk, you, you will see elk around, uh, highways and, 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 and heavy and populated areas. That, that's another thing that, that's the onyx effect as well is, is because people, are using that and because people are going deeper and spreading out and finding these other places, elk are having a lot more encounters with, with people. They're having yeah, a lot I'm, more encounters. Well, and, I think there's a lot more people in the woods hunting them today too, but yeah, at, at the end, of, at the end of the day, you know, the, when I killed my biggest bull, <laughs> Chad and I watched guys drive right by us and we're in the middle of a herd. I mean, a big herd of elk. Screaming. And yeah, they're absolutely going bonkers. Multiple, I would say 10 to 12 bulls that were in that group. And those guys just drive right by us. Chad and I are looking at hey, each man, other. That like, sounds like he a farm. ain't saying nothing to nobody. Do what? That sounds like a farm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that little, that little Put put they were driving on side by side, sounding like I was like, I can't believe this. <clears throat> we're actually set up on these bulls, and we're hearing vehicles ah, a quarter mile from our left. I mean, you can hear them coming through there, you know. And uh they'd stop every now and then and bugle, you know, and then they'd just keep right on rolling. Um I was like, I, I can't believe this. But, yes, yeah, some of the best places that we've hunted are real close to. Yeah. Real close Funny how that works, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was on a hunt. Uh, it takes six or seven years to draw it in Oregon. It was a big bull tag, and uh, and we did 21 miles that day on bikes, and it was like holy crap. And we saw one cow, and she was hauling ass just the opposite direction. She wasn't right. hanging out. And then um, my cousin was hunting basically the same area, except he just camped at the gate, right? And he just like, man, we were on bulls screaming pretty much from the gate. I was like, you bastard. Like, we just killed ourselves on bikes and you're literally a hundred yards from the gate chasing a bull screaming. There's 13 trucks parked at the gate. Everybody went in before daylight like we did, you know, and it's just like, man, it's crazy. This year in Colorado, we all put a lot of miles on our feet. Chav though, hunted a place where 
was pretty close to camp. And he saw more bulls and more elk <laughs> than all of us combined did. He was 300 yards off a of two trap. 300 yards off, maybe less than that. Yeah, depending on which way you came from the two track, right? And sitting uh, inside a pop-up blind. And sitting inside <laughs> a pop-up blind on a waller. I guarantee if every one of us would have sat with Chad, we'd all kill bulls. That's crazy. The yeah, one of the serious business. One before I started doing <laughs> social media and all this other stuff, I, I was on a hunt in that honey, honey hole I was telling you guys about and, um, we're bugling in this bowl. We're on this old like snowmobile trail and, um, and I'm like, man, this bull's getting really close. We should probably think about what we're doing here for a second and really make sure we're doing the right things. And, and then I look over behind me and there's this white thing behind me. I'm like, what in the hell is that? Well, it's an RV and I'm like 15 yards from it. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on here? And I'm like, this probably is, there's no way this guy's, and this guy's, guy's trying out for the elk champion calling this year this guy has to be a bull and, and i mean i could have threw a rock and hit that guy's rv and then probably 80 yards away from me was that bull and i'm like where in the hell is this guy hunting because he isn't obviously right here i mean this is just insane and so um i know way off topic and everything but that's probably the uh the ultimate experience that i've ever had just hunting where you wouldn't think there would be elk and they'll let you they'll let you especially rosies rosies all day long they'll let they listen they hear vehicles every single day <laughs> All, all, all the rosies over here, um, they're, they're used to log trucks. So if you're in a log truck and you drive by them, you'll spook them way less than if you're in a, a regular vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so it's just all what they become conditioned to. And, right. and, and Joe hit the nail on the head. Like if these animals are becoming more conditioned to run ins with people, um, then that's going to have an effect on these elk too. You know, I think they're obviously not going to just going to hang out, but I think that if they're having, more encounters with people eventually I, you know, over here, um, I, I shot a bull this year. There was three other groups of hunters pursuing that bull as I shot him. Like there was well, even one of my buddies I didn't even know was watching, was watching me. He watched me stick it through the spot and scope. It was like, it was just insane. And so, you know, um, I haven't really figured out exactly what the effect is on that, on the elk yet there, but I think that maybe that might make him settle down more quicker. I, I don't well, take I don't a look really at Estes. I mean, you walk, they walk through people all day long, you know, in full rut. I mean, they didn't care. They don't care if those people are there. <laughs> no, I mean, they, they don't. Absolutely That's- don't. But in what, what I have, what I have found is this is in areas where, um, there's high use areas where elk are used to seeing people is that they have a place that they want to go to. They want to go from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is if they run into a person, they run off a little bit and they circle around and they keep going from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. They just work around just like we would. Adjust. If, mm-hmm. you know, if we were to walk up and we were to see a camp, instead of walking to the camp, we're going to walk around us and see us and we're just going to keep going. Elk are doing the same thing. I'm finding yeah. that animals that I busted have only gone 200 yards up on a ridge and they're just waiting there and they're listening and they're smelling. And then as soon as it gets better, they go back to feeding and doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So, but whereas if you were to go in an area where elk are not used to seeing a human, the deeper areas or those places, and I don't want to say deeper because I don't know that, I don't think deeper is where they're not seeing humans anymore because I think so many people are going deeper. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, you know, that thing that everybody keeps trying to, everybody wants to be so different 
from everybody else that everybody's being the same, right? So exactly. they want to all keep going deeper. And so you end up with a lot of people in there, like you're saying, you're seeing those tracks and stuff there that a lot of people are missing those areas that are number one between, you know, the highway from the highway to the trailhead is some of the primo hunting there. Right. And then when people get on that trailhead, probably that area between that first mile to mile three is some incredible hunting, especially if you start taking and getting off the beaten path and being that gutsy hunter that gets into those side canyons and stuff that are feeding off that nobody can understand or see or, you know, what, where they're going. So, uh, now that's once you're out there, but I think what a lot of people that are asking these questions for us is, is they're like, okay, I'm from, I'm from Arkansas and I don't know jack about elk and I'm trying to learn it. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm listening to all these podcasts and I want to go hunting for the first time, but I don't want to just go out there and hike around like I don't know what I'm doing and I don't want to go someplace where there's not any elk. So, um, <laughs> what are some things that like, I'm, I'm going to go back to what I asked before, though, and before I jump into that, is like, from our guys here, if you had to go, and you you had to go by yourself to go hunt, and what state, where would you go to hunt, and what are some of the factors that are leading you towards that? Manano. Mm. Let's say I'm going to... To Colorado, I know for a fact that Colorado has a big, oh, a big population of elk. Uh, I would take a look at the statistics, of course, but I wouldn't go to the areas to the big, you know, percentage of, of of harvesting. But I, I would, I would take a close look of. Uh, I mean, the scouting for me, it's one of the most uh, uh, important tools that I would use. Uh, what do you look for? when you say that that's an important tool for you? What are you looking for? When well, you food, food, How shelter, can you food from e-scouting. Well, uh, water. Okay. You can, you can see water perfectly, especially with 3D apps that has 3D, uh, altitude. It's a big, big, uh, uh big, uh, uh, element there. You can see and, the grasslands too, Joe. From yeah, the, and, and the grasslands, and, what's greener from from those drainages and stuff like that. You can see yeah. photographs if you looked a lot of time, right? And I would, and I of course I would look uh, some road, roads to get mm-hmm. there. You know, the access Hail, point. Yes, Hail that's a really yes. important point. Actually, I was talking to a, another Venezuelan guy that he, for the very first time, he he went to Colorado. Uh, and, uh, he was in a, in a, in a horse, uh, because the access was horrible and he had a horrible time, uh, you know, taking out that big elk. So that's a big, big question mark for me. I mean, I would go to the, you know, no, not, not a pretty famous area, a well-known area, but, uh, Something to get close to the, to the ATV or something. Yeah. And I, I would definitely look at migration routes too. You know, they publish that a lot in Colorado, right? Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I, I saw it. I saw it in Colorado and, uh, and we were close, by the way. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. yeah when you're looking, 
so everybody that hasn't seen, you know, you, what he's talking about that is you can actually, there's KVM, which is a layer that you can pull out and you can put on your, yeah. you can put it on your, um, uh, Google Earth. You can put in different things so that you can actually see what the migration of the elk are from summer to winter. And if you're seeing migration routes like that, you, number one, if they're marking an area as migration area, you know, there's elk in it. Or has been for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's migration area. I think so many things go into what Manano's talking about. Is you know how far how far do you want to travel? You know uh, how much. There's a big one. How far you want to travel, right? How how much money you want to spend, and what kind of elk are you trying to harvest? Are you harvesting any elk? Are you going to harvest only mature bulls? Are you going to you know kill a can you kill a spike in that area? I mean, there, those are questions you got to have ask yourself before you want to go. Well, I'm gonna throw yeah. another kink out there: is that we're, we've been talking DIY, but there is another option, man. There is land. There is absolutely. You know, there yeah. Is. So I assume right? I assume I, we're talking about uh, uh, do it, you know, public land. Yeah, do it yourself. Correct. But yeah. I'm talking about Colorado, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't know what would be my approach going to Oregon or on. on Another state. You Call me. Come on over. <laughs> yeah, we would. We would use our resources that we knew there for sure. You know, we'd call Mr. Weaver or, yeah. you know, or whoever it would be. You know, um, the good thing is we've met some really cool people in in a lot of different places that we could talk to uh, and share information with. But you know, for the for the average Joe that's from uh, let's say he's from Tennessee or from Alabama, right? And they're going to, they're wanting to go out west and go hunt. You know, it's a, it's a daunting task to understand what's out there and what's available. So all of the, that go hunt app is absolutely 100% cuts that curve in half. And, and out there, there's top rut as well that's out yeah. there. You get a lot uh-huh. of information off that. Mm-hmm. You can go to a lot of states and, and a lot of these apps are pulling free information that if you do work, you can get some of that yourself and it's yeah. condensing it for you. And you can look at the success rates in the units. You yeah. know, listen, I, we hunted, had to be one of the most populated units we've ever hunted in and it didn't matter. We still knocked them down, you know. I mean, they got to hunt the same elk we got to hunt, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll take these boys and fight hell with a water pistol with them any day <laughs> of the week because I'm telling you, these boys can call and they can get it done. And, you know, I mean, we ain't afraid to go where we got to go, even me, even my fat ass. We will get up that mountain. It may take me longer, but my ass is getting up there, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh when I get up there, it's on like Donkey Kong. You know, so I, I, I just think, Joe, guys got to figure out how far they want to travel. I think that's the number one thing. Well, that's I mean, true. coming from Alabama, you can go to, you can go to Montana. Whew, that's a full day travel, man. Maybe longer, maybe two days travel. You know, if you ain't got seven days to hunt, you know, you might want to look at going to, I mean, look, I guess everybody talks about Colorado, Colorado, but it's the closest one from the east you know, uh, that has over-the-counter stuff, you know. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, 
You can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing and achieving, and most of all, Keep grinding. So, a lot of attraction in different areas. Chav, mm-hmm. if if you had to go someplace, what are some of the things that right away are going to be reasons of why you're going to go there? Well, a lot of it's uh, for me now is accessibility. Uh, you know, and uh, you got to have good good uh, hunting partners to be able to do what I did last year. Because so, uh, so you got to be able to go someplace you can hunt in a group, right? Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was lucky that, uh, we had people in, in the group that were willing to sacrifice an hour or two of their time to get me to my spot and then, uh, pick me up later. Uh, so it depends on, on your group, uh, as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, costs would have been, uh, uh, prohibitive, you know, as far as, you know, you're, we're not going to go to a, a private ranch. You know, unless you're looking for something specific and you've saved up some money. Uh, and that's not a know, bad idea. Yeah. Well, and, and, and if you hold, and I'm going to let you continue in a second because I'm going to throw this in there. You know, we were talking about points earlier and I know there's people that play the points game in multiple states for multiple years. And when you do that, not only are you buying points, but you're generally having to buy a, uh, a, a hunting license, license right? Mm-hmm. You're having to pay for that and you're not even going to use it if you don't draw a lot of times. I have a hard time with that, but that's what's mm-hmm. happening. And you start adding all that up every year, shooting three years, you could have paid to probably had private access on someplace, not necessarily a fully guided hunt, but you might have been able to hunt private land. You might have had trespass. You might have been able to go through someplace. They gave sure, there's some real them. affordable, there's some real affordable private land hunts out there, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, and these drop camps too, the, you know, if you get it, yep, if you get a good reputable guy, yeah, yeah trespass, trespass fees, they'll drop your butt 13 miles in right in the middle yeah. of elk. If you get a yeah. good one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, I mean, those are, if you're of the ilk that you have the means financially, 
I'm going to tell you right now, I hunted private ranches starting out and I absolutely loved it because those guys knew the terrain. They knew what was there. Um, and you know, if you can afford to have a guide in your hip pocket to call for you and stuff like that, man, by, by all means, knock your lights out because it's a blast, you know, and there's tons of elk there, you know, so I, I wouldn't rule that out. But if you guys are serious about doing it yourself, man, really got to do your homework. I, I'm going to tell you, it took us a full, you know, when we figured out we didn't draw in New Mexico, we had to get with the program and Joe, myself, Manano, Luis, Everybody that decided that we were going to make this happen, man, I mean, you know, Joe was coming up with areas. He lives closest to the closest to the bone. You know, I mean, he's there within three or four hours of the area. We're still 13 to 16 hours away. So we were really dependent on Joe to look for the area. And then once he sent us where we were going, I mean, it was all about us diving in, looking at fat maps. And look, for me, I learned a valuable lesson, like Manano said. You need to learn the road system as well as you can before you show up because that will take miles off your feet when you can get to an area using a UTV or whatever it may be, uh, alpaca or a horse yeah, or what like a truck. Was talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, whatever, man. Uh, you Every day the RCNI – walk to the top of that ridge was absolutely brutal. But when I learned there was a road that went up there, <laughs> we could start out at daylight and be on them like a rat on a Cheeto, and they were in trouble, you know. I know a place in Colorado on a main highway that everybody drives by, and there's elk 400 yards off that highway, you know, and, and it happens like that. Chab, I'm going to go back to you so you can finish, bud. Well, uh, you know, I think, uh, Gilbert touched on it too, is, uh, you know, you do your, your, uh, due diligence and, uh, locate areas where there's wallers and, uh, where there's a water supply. And it just so happened that you guys, uh, had already determined that there was water in this particular place where you sent me up. And sure enough, it was a, it was a major watering place for the elk. And, uh, going back to what we we're discussing earlier, I didn't hear a single person uh, or a single bike the whole time that I was in that blind. That's because everybody went miles beyond me to hunt. Uh, but yet the resident elk herd knew where to go water during the daytime. So, uh, you know, that, that goes, that speaks about uh, people that, that go beyond sometimes. And of course you guys were in elk also, you know, which wasn't a problem, but, uh, elk have their routes. They know where the water, they know when the pressure's on, where they can still get water and not be in the open. So, uh, a lot of it was the oh east counting. And when it's hot, water you? is going to play a factor when it's hot. What yeah, it, and it was really hot. What, what was the mm-hmm. best time, Chaf, for, for the, to see those animals coming into your water? Well, the best time was, uh, early afternoon. Early afternoon, I saw most of them. And we're talking about middle of the day. I don't know how hot it was, but it was real hot. There so, like, between noon and 3, right? Between noon and 3, right? Yeah. They walk. They walk. Yeah. But we'll think they about out of their it. bed and they come and drink. So, again, yeah. we talk about very intelligent animals. They're going to be moving around in the woods when we're not in the woods. And you think about it, a lot of hunters are going to hunt – 
from dark till about 10 o'clock, a lot of them. And then they're back in camp. And then they're not back out until 3. You know, they might leave camp at 2, but they're not hitting the woods till 3 or 4 o'clock by the time they get in there. So these animals have learned when they can do some of the things. They're not going to go to water in the morning because most of the time they've been watering before they went to bed, right? So mm-hmm. uh unless, the, you know, it's a bull that in midday, and that's going to be probably 11-ish anyway, that, you know, if there's a wallow that's hidden or something, a spring that's hidden in the trees, that, that he'll come in, especially if it's close to a bedding area, he's going to go hit that, right? But other than that, man, they can, and they can cover a mile, Ooh, two miles in man. time to get to yeah. something. Brother Joe, that bull I killed, 8.30 in the morning, walked right by us, shoved his face in the middle of that waller, and sucked water like he was Dying of thirst. I'm going to tell you straight up. I ain't never seen a uh, animal shove their whole face in the water. And I mean, he was dying of thirst, you know, and, uh, it just, we, we got it done, but I, I've never seen that happen. I, I very rarely see elk drink water. That rascal shoved his whole head down in the, <laughs> in the lake and in that water hole. And, 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 and what, mean, and what happened? What happened, Beto? Afterward, what happened? He, he did not. He did not like what was going on between me, RC, and Brendan. He did not like us trying to get an arrow knocked up and stuff like that. And finally, he boogered. He ran out there about you know fifty three, fifty four yards and stopped broadside. And he should have never stopped because that was that was the last time he drank his sip of water. <laughs> Luis, <laughs> Luis, what are some factors, man, that would determine where uh, we want to go? I mean, so, I mean, I think, honestly, Garrett covered a lot at the very beginning. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when he said, you know, budget, you have to have a clear understanding of your budget, the method that you want to use, mm-hmm. yeah. and then also the amount of time that you have to actually do your hunt. And I think those three things are going to be key for you to take the next step. So it will help calibrate the expectations that you may have on this hunt. So once you have that calibrated, just between the budget and the amount of time is going to tell you right then, well, are you a guy that it's going to go private? Are you a guy that is going to go and get a guide? Or are you a guy that is going to go public land? Are you, you know, going to hunt have, archery? Are you going to hunt muzzleloader? Are you going right. to hunt rifle? Yeah, once, once you've decided the method, then you go and, and knowing how much time you have and how much money you want to spend, then you have those three main options, right? You either go with a guide, you go public land, or you go private, you know, full-blown with the guide. And then based on those three, then you go next step is everything we're talking about as far as you you do your research. You either do it online, uh, you know, Google, uh, the different tools that uh, have been mentioned already in the show, and, and work your network, you know, anybody that you know uh, that, uh, you know, know what kind of hunts you're going to be doing. The amount of time that you have available is also going to dictate how far you're going to be willing to travel. And that's also going to be dictated by your budget, you know, if you, if you want to drive and then or if you want to fly. So... I think those three main things are going to dictate a lot of your decision making. Now, one and thing, then, I'm sorry, go ahead, bro. No, and then, and then once you start kind of pinpointing, um, 
the the place where you're going to be hunting, the areas you want to be hunting, the amount of time you have, and the amount of money you you have, then you can start. Okay, you you pinpoint either a place, uh, the the public land you want to put in for. You find more information on the public land, and then you dive into the e scouting. You dive into the groups that he's talking about as far as hey. You know, who knows about this area, you know, and try to get as much information as possible. So you make better use of your time. You're more informed by the time you get there. You call your biologist, like you mentioned. So, And you, you got to be careful of, of some of the things that might scare you away from places as well. Um, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But one thing I was going to throw in, something we haven't thrown in the mix is it doesn't have to be OTC. I mean, you can put in, there are lottery draws in some of these. Draws. New Mexico is a lottery draw. There's some other states that you might be able to draw with zero points or one point if you don't want to play the point game. Even some of them, I think, are like three points, right? So if you're somebody that wants to hunt every year, I mean, that could be where you put in for a draw for one state, you get one point, and, and don't go anything past that, man, as far, you know, if you're going to put in for one of those, you can do that and, and try to get one of those general areas like that. And I know some areas, you can actually get better areas in Colorado by going for some of those places that are a one point limited draw area. And they're, mm-hmm. they're in there too. And you could put in for New Mexico, you could put in for Arizona, you could put in for those places that you're trying to get in with a lottery. And if you don't hit that, then you have your backup because a lot of people are going to put in for some of those anyway, and they're going to list multiple areas within that state to try to draw that. If they don't get that, you have other options that do, do not have to be draw options. You, And what I'm saying is, is because we're blue collar guys, I have a hard time, like, you know, Garrett was talking about how, you know, and I know people that put in for multiple states for that year. Usually get- they're single hunters though, right? Yes. They don't hunt in groups, Joe. Oh, well, some of these guys do hunt in groups because in some of these in draw, you can put in groups on the, on the draw. So I'm talking about preference point hunting. Yeah. Right. Well, like in Montana, you can share preference points in Montana. I'm sorry, Wyoming, you can share preference points. Oregon too. There's other things there that you could say, like, if you don't want to put in for, you know, because you're a blue collar, you could just pick one state that that's the state that you want to do that you want to try to get in on that draw and you could do that and then you know if you don't you have your otc if you hit it good if you don't good man so there is that option as well on there right so that's something to to think about now here's the thing that i think um one thing i want to throw out too is the way that i looked at when we were going to colorado is I didn't look at, I I don't worry too much about success rates. That doesn't concern me because that's what people did before. That's history. And that's what they did with their particular skill set. I don't worry about that. I just want to know if there's elk in the area. So I look at elk populations. A lot of these people have done studies in areas and they, you know, the size of the herd. And, and I tell you what, man, if I'm seeing in an area of units that there's 8,000 elk in there, Oh my gosh, man. I know I can find an elk. So I, I don't necessarily worry about that. Now, what part of that area we learned real quick this year, this year <clears throat> that if you didn't want to be in an, 
if, if you don't want to be surrounded by a lot of people, then look at how good the road system is and look how, um, how easy it is to camp or how much glamping there is in the area, how many, um, cabins there are in the area, how many hotels are in the area because people by nature are going to go where they're comfortable and they're going to be more people in those areas because they can, they can have family with them. They can, you know, they can have, I mean, we pulled into an area, bro. When we got there, and I mean, there were buses pulling in there, man. Most motor coaches, million dollar buses. Yeah, and 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 I have nothing against that. I owned one. (laughs) Me neither. You know, but when you're doing that, good ease. A lot of people were doing that, right? And it it made it such easy access um, Mm -hmm. for people now. Does that mean you're not going to see out there? Still, man, those people have to get out and they have to hunt. And and here's another thing that I've learned. The more comfortable you are in camp, the more time you spend in camp, right? <laughs> so a lot of those people with a lot of, you know, that have the cabins and that have those things like that, that have the family, they're going to spend a lot of less time in the mountains, in the woods, actually, and even farther in the woods, you know, past a mile, maybe. So, uh, if, if you're reading me there. So here's the thing as, as we're going to finish out with is that this last question said this. What do you see when looking at a mountain and breaking it down that others don't? So what is it that, like, for example, when we got to the area that we did, and that we were hunting. We're driving down the highway, and I look off, and I almost broke my neck. <laughs> oh, dude, there's elk in there. You know, I mean, I could look at features, physically look at them and see that, and I see the features, and I see the relationship. I see the closeness. I see the type of things that elk are going to want to yeah. be drawn to. And That's I see the areas I around it. Yeah. I mean, if you have a drainage, like you have a nice plateau, and this happens a lot in Colorado and some of these areas where you have a plateau of grass that's very sparse with trees. And then it, that plateau comes down and all of a sudden you have a huge drainage with a lot of trees in it, really thick down in that, that goes around the bottom and comes down to water. Internaceous. Internaceous, yo, too. Trinash, that's right. Trinash. Trinash. <laughs> I thought you, what trash are you talking about, bro? Trinash says they run down there. That's, that's what he's talking about. And 100%, brother. That's, yeah. that's the, that's the Mecca. So I just eliminate, I mean, there's a whole plateau of grass up there that they can be in at night, but where are they going to be when they need to be someplace, right? Exactly. During the rest of the day. And and I'll tell you another thing that I, I look at. Yeah, there's feed areas. Like so, you were talking earlier, Garrett, about you know where you had multiple. And we both said about multiple drainages coming down, and it hits a flat or a single drainage. Like when you look on a map, looking over above it, and you're looking at these maps, and uh, no matter what map you look at, you can see different years. I actually like to look at some of these places on the dry year. Because when I look at it in the dry year, if I see any green in an area, yeah. I know that that's an area that traps water no matter what, right? So especially where I have drainages coming down and down in the crotch of those drainages, you have green right there. That tells me that it flattens out. It gets marshy. It gets those types of things. Now, the next thing that I want to know is because 
those animals, those critters are going to spend so much time in those night beds or those feed areas in the morning must get in there. They already have a plan for a bed, but a lot of places, if they can, because of pressure, they get limited time in that open grass. Now they're looking for places that they can feed and transition going to their bed. So yeah. I, if you can locate those areas between where probable night beds are, you know, to their day beds are that have more sparse and open, but still has cover where they can get grasses in there. You've mm-hmm. hit something, right? That and then those knuckles between those ridges, those saddles that are between the ridges that lead to the bedding and the feeding uh-huh. areas, those knuckles are dynamite. And a lot of people won't even look at that. They're easier to travel as well. You get you a little app called Fat Map. You can actually see the flat parts to get in and out of there, and you won't kill yourself going straight up one of those ridges when you can walk in those saddles, right, and call into the wind. And those elk use that, those knuckles, to travel over those ridges. It's easier. It's easier for them than going straight up and straight down. Just remember, everything gets smaller at the top. So if if I'm a bull... And I am, you know, feeling my oats. I'm starting to get the rut and I'm trying to locate different cows and different herds. You know, for me, when I get up there and I get in those areas and I work those knuckles and I work those ridges across and I'm doing my, I can hear things in different places. And smell. Out an elk ears, right? I can smell those scents coming up. Those are great places they like to work. It's easy to drop down into there to get to, you know, areas where they can, uh, that's the first thing I look down for. Where it's dark. Yeah. Absolutely. First thing I look for. Yep. And, and it's a great place for hunters to be there. So, you know, uh, again, saddles, any kind of benches, especially benches on, uh, north, northeast, northeast sides, right? But, but here's another thing I'm going to tell you is everybody always talks about going elk going up, right? Up. Elk will Come drop off and if there's a drainage. They'll drop off onto the side into that. And then they will come up to feed. They won't go down to feed. They'll come up to feed. And so they'll drop down in those trees where there's benches inside there. And there's water source most likely down at the bottom that they're hitting as well. And so uh, you have to, you have to think just like yourself. If you are walking out in an area in, and let's just take it, let's say September and you're sweating your butt off with the sun on you. You want to get out of that sun. You want to get into the shade. You want to get someplace cool. Well, look, go there because that's what the elk are doing. Elk are doing. Right. 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 I ain't staying it's, out in the bald ass prairie and burning up. If it's winter time <laughs> and there's snow on the ground and you're freezing your butt off, mm-hmm. you don't want to be in the shade in the north side, man. You're going to start no, with southern, west slopes. southern slopes so you get mm-hmm. a little bit of warmth on that at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. So, how you are feeling is the same way those animals are feeling. Think like that, you know, think like that, you know, um, what, what are some of those things when you look at them, what are some things that you look at a mountain Garrett that other people don't see like you do? Um, you hit a lot of it right there. I was just shaking my head the whole time folks that are listening to this. I was just like, yeah, yeah. But, uh, one thing that I do is, is I know I talked a lot about getting off the roads, but if I'm, if I'm going to go into an area, and I'm walking. Um, I'm I'm pulling up on Onyx, and I'm using the trail thing, and it has this this feature where you can 
see where all the roads aren't and it like highlights the areas that are hard to get to. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I use the crap out of that. And, and I, one thing I do is I try and plan out a hunt and it, this takes a lot of, you know, time and effort. But if you're looking at an area and you really got it narrowed down, you're like, man, how I'm going to, I'm going to hunt this area. Okay. How am I going to hunt this area? Am I, am I going to walk top of a ridge in the morning and blow my wind into everything? Or am I going to try and get down in the bottom or, or work this? Or am I going to try and glass and then get to the side and come in? Like, how am I going to get into these elk if I do go in here? And, and so what I'm looking for is, is areas where if I'm, if it's not going my way and I'm not getting answers, can I sit from anywhere in glass? You know, like, is there glassing points? Is there, is there going to be funnels that are funneling the wind down that I need to avoid? Um, but mainly it's, it's, if it's, uh, if I'm walking and I'm using trails, what are the light areas on Onyx that don't have any roads, the, the, the hardest to get to spots and what are the, you know, the areas that you don't want to go 99% of the time for me, that's where the elk are. And so, uh, you know, I, I tend to, every time I push myself, I'm like, man, I really don't want to go down there. And, and I've trained myself when I think that I just do it and I go, because I know Every time I've almost every time I've done that, I run into elk or I run into I get an encounter doing that. And so, if you're thinking that and you're and you're one of these guys that's out in the woods, and you're like, man, I real that looks like a real shithole. I don't want to go in there. How many other people aren't going to go in there? I mean, there's not a lot. There's a lot of guys that want to get back in there and they're hardcore until it's time to be hardcore, right? I mean, they get back in there and do some work, but until it's time to actually drop two thousand feet into the bottom because it looks good. A lot of guys aren't going to do that unless they get an answer, and they're probably not going to get an answer from 2,000 well, feet. Well, so. I'm sorry. I would do that only to bother Luis, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we had a bull um, 11 miles in, and we were on bikes, so it wasn't like a hard 11 miles. And uh, and we're about 500 feet down a down a 2,000-foot uh, drainage, like Hell's Canyon kind of stuff. And, um, I'm ripping off bugles and I'm just eating, listening to a bull bugle back or, you know, now blow, blow a bugle back at him and, and my two buddies and I'm, I'm beat. And, uh, they're like, we should go down there. And I'm like, this is a big bull tag. And I'm like, and I, and I chicken, I was chicken shit. I, I'm like, unless I see how big that bull is, I'm not, I'm not going down there. And they were all about it. Right. And so, I mean, I've even come into those scenarios too, where I'm like, I, I just didn't want to, I, Unless I knew how big he was, because this is a big bull tag, I'm not spending my time on going a all the way down. Yeah. yeah, and so you know that could have been a 350 inch bull. I don't know, but those those are the areas that that if you work hard, a lot of times you're going to get rewarded. And and I look for those areas that are hard harder to get to that you have to walk into. And I avoid areas with dirt bikes. I avoid areas with with horse trails, ATV trails. I try to level the playing field with walk in only trails. And in Idaho, you have different kinds of trails you have motorcycles only um kind of anything below a motorcycle only you have horse only you have all these other types of trails i want to be on a level playing field as much as possible and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to try and focus on the walking only trails and that's how i've really approached all my out-of-state stuff is i'm 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 going to outwalk everybody else here I'll, I'll i will put in the work and i'll do whatever it takes and and you can get those by ordering those maps from um the fish and wildlife, they'll send you trail maps or the biologists will send you trail maps. Um, I've got a ton of them, um, well, in here, I, but I want to talk about another kind of ugly because really you talk about getting into nasty, ugly areas. Yeah. And th- there's another kind of ugly that holds a lot of elk. And most people picture what elk country looks like. They picture aspens, they picture going back into the back country. And a lot of times they've 
pass by these pinon and juniper oh, foothills mm-hmm. and the lower areas that do not that are not like the you know they're not the elk country that everybody romanticizes like that it's Trophy ugly country. country it's 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 and it's a lot of time not that hard really in there i mean there's a lot of having to figure out where you're at in different places but they hold a lot of elk that people drive by trying to get to what they romanticize as elk country you know in yeah. fact i mean if you come here into new mexico some of the best country to hunt is some of our lower kind of desertous country, kind of like what happens a lot of times in some parts of Arizona out there. But there are tremendous bulls in that country that, man, it, it's hot. Um, it has, you know, sparse cover, has little canyons, you know, like that. It's pinon, it's juniper and huge big bulls in that country that get passed by all the time. So that that's yeah. the other kind of ugly that I wanted to talk about there as well. I mean, when Gilbert yeah. talks about the bull that he killed, that's because he killed that bull in ugly country that everybody was driving by. You know, <laughs> well, you bring up a great what, point. Yeah, eight eight thousand foot, Joe. I mean, yeah, not even that. It was probably yeah. seven six right yeah. in there, and it was only yeah. seven six. And we were camped at damn near ten. Yeah, and I mean, you could have actually gone down to six six five, and there right. were still in those lower areas there were animals there as well. Because it's, at ten at know. ten thousand, you're about fifteen hundred feet in the air <laughs> in Oregon. I don't think we have a mountain over nine, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I'm hunting, I'm hunting almost sea level over here. But you're sweating cool, your right? butt off in September in Oregon too, right? You can, you can, but uh, it, it, you bring up a great point. If you're coming over here, and, and I and I always just try and throw rosies out of the mix for people because that's i think if you're wanting to start hunting don't hunt with like the hardest elk <laughs> to, to figure out yeah um in my opinion um but i you know I've, i i deal with them a lot but um the the reprod and the thickest stuff possible the stuff that like holy crap like just like where i recovered my bowl this year it was five to ten yard visibility i mean you, 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 there's nothing more i mean that's all you had and um, we found them because we ran into the blood trail and, and then we could smell them before we got to them and then um, almost got ran over by a cougar. But um, oh. it was pretty oh, legit. Not but, good. Uh, you know, it, too. the reprod over here, if you are going to come over and hunt reprod for the guys that are hunting rosies, reprod is one of the best things you can you can hit up. And that's just what is reproduct, that? Re, reprod. It's just uh, reproducing timber or reproduction timber. It's it's. I, I would say anything from like ten to twenty year old timber. Oh, okay, um, so it's replanted I, areas, right? Replanted areas, yeah. Oh, yeah. New um, forest. New yeah, forest. yeah, and it's so thick. Like I, uh, I told you guys about a bull before we started this thing. I shot him at seventeen with that with a kudu, and um, it took me hours to find him. And he only went like seventy yards, sixty yards, and it took me hours to find that bull. There's no blood, but um, I mean, it was that was that was. 17 yards, I couldn't believe I could even shoot that far in there. And that's where most of the bulls that we run into, that's where they're at. I mean, they're in the really thick stuff and absolutely it looks like a bear tunnel is almost, almost like they're going using hmm. bear tunnels, you know? So the same thing happens in all other elk states. And, and I hear this from people all the, all the time. They're like, well, I don't want to hunt there because you can't see anything. Okay. So here's the thing with elk hunting, being able to see elk through the trees is good for seeing elk. It's horrible <laughs> yeah. for killing. 
right? Yes. The, the tighter and the thicker it is, yeah, you might not see them coming into you, but they don't see you as well. And if you can let them know that you're another elk, you're talking 15, 20-yard shots. I've shot them at yeah. yards. I shot one at six feet. I almost got walked on by an elk that I shot. Actually shot it while I was screaming at it, and it was spinning off because it was going to walk on me, right? It was self-defense. But, I mean, it's just because it was so thick like that that you can actually walk making noise amongst them, and they think that you're another elk because they're not able to see there. So Mm -hmm. advantage you. Instead of advantage, mm-hmm. you've eliminated the eyes. You're already okay. downwind from them, so you've eliminated the nose, right? And you're sounding like another elk, so you're fooling the ears. You take care of that, you can kill an animal. 100%. Yeah, I mean, over here in Rosie Hunt, you're talking about the playbook right there. I mean, you're you're using everything to your advantage. And if if I would rather be in elk than seeing elk and in and, and Rosie Country, that's two different things. You could see... A hundred elk and, and, and if you're just glassing them up, good freaking luck. You got to get in on them. And, right. and once you get in on them, your chances of killing that bull, not just because you're in range, but just because you're in his zone and, and roses are, I think they're more territorial from my experience. Like once you get in on, get in on them and they, they, they don't want to give up that spot. Um, that bull I killed three years ago. I, you know, like for what's that one movie? You go 90, I go 10. Uh, well, I had to go a hundred. He didn't go. He, he stood his ground the whole time and he didn't move from a five foot square. And I had to go, it took me two and a half hours, but I got about 17 yards from him and stuck him. And, uh, like that's Rosie hunting. Like that's, that's the epitome of, and that's, you know, I I'm romanticizing here about Rosie hunting, but, um, you know, that's, I think people are way too worried about being stealthy. And if you just go in and you're, you're an elk, yeah, man, elk, you're an elk. Yeah, you're making sound elk like sounds. They come in, yeah. Yeah. They make a you're noise not, when they move. If you're worried about it, they're worried about it. Yeah. Right. If you're not worried about it and you're being smart, you're going to kill more elk than the guy who is. But the more open the area is, the more difficult it is to do that. No doubt. You know how no to doubt. use terrain, um, you know, and those types of and other things. Of Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I think we've done a great job with this, man. Uh, I think we've given our, our listeners that are, that are from back east or even out west here something to think about out there. Um, if you have questions on this, uh, man, just send them to us. And, and I'm going to ask you guys that are listening to this right now. Gilbert always closes us out here at the end. And, you know, it's, he, it's a rhythm to what we do here. There's a rhythm to our show. You know, we have some of the very same things that we do in, I, I believe in structure. I've always coached with structure and, it, and people feel comfortable in a structure and a rhythm. So we have that in the show. But I think sometimes there's something that you guys really miss out on that he gets there at the end. And, and that's when he asks you guys, please rate and review us, you know, and he's getting ready to go to his spiel as he closes us out here. But I want to tell you, he's not doing that just to finish out like that. We try not to make a big deal out of this, but look, this is free content. Big deal. And this costs us to be able to do this as well. And there's a lot of time spent here by everybody here. Let us know how we're doing. You know, um, if you appreciate what we're doing, Go give us a review on Apple Podcasts out there because it's those things that help us get other people to help pay for what we do do. Okay. And- yeah, yeah. You, you, they can review my my comment about my English and stuff. I'll be okay with it. No worry. <laughs> you know, I hear some great things from people that you know all the time, and and we appreciate that um, so so much. 
you know, we do the things we do because you are the reason that we're doing this. Our listeners, our viewers, you guys in all of these states, man, we have now, we're getting ready to bump listeners in 9,000 U.S. cities. We're in 85. We've had a listener at least in in over 85 countries out there, which it just blows my mind. So mm-hmm. this is about you. And the reason we do those shout-outs is because of you. The reason that, you know, um, we do the mailboxes because this is your show. This is because we want to help you. So we'd appreciate it. Take a moment. It's a new year. Give us a review. <laughs> Give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Send us an email if you have any questions. And I've already said we're going to do scenario questions. So if you have any of that, be sure to send those scenarios to us so that we have a discussion because you never know what nuggets you're going to find when we talk about a situation like that. And it doesn't mean we know everything. We make a ton of mistakes. I made biggest mistake this year out of everybody, man, the guy with the most experience in the field. And it's because I've never come across that situation. Lesson learned. And I get a chance to share that with you, right? And that's all we're, we don't know it all, but we will share what, what we have done, the mistakes we've made and the things that we found out. And I, I tell you from the photographs that I've seen this year, from the letters that we've received, a lot of you guys have had tremendous success and some of you without even putting an animal on the ground, just from the experiences that you've had calling animals in, even if you did not make that harvest on that animal. So this is what thrills us. This is why we're doing this. Please um, don't be the silent major- majority out there. You know, let us know. We'd like to hear from you. It's a new year. It is a new year. And Joe, happy new year to all our listeners out there. We got some great content coming forward. We got more, I promise you, more new guests coming to, to be with us in elk camp. Yep. Uh, this is why we do this. So we can be in elk camp every week with you guys. Mr. Weaver, want to thank you so much for, for, yeah. uh, joining us, man. Uh, um, unbelievable guest. Great, great content from him and all our elk bros coaches tonight. Uh, Joe, you know, we always say this to all our listeners, but it's Joe's touched on it so eloquently. Uh, I will say if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate and review us. You got to go to Apple podcast or iTunes to review us and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And Joe did not say this about you guys picking a state to go in elk hunt. But if you have not looked on our webpage at elkbros.com and went and got into our elk academy, it is our base camp. It is unbelievable. It will cut your learning curve by two-thirds, I promise you. It'll help you call elk better. It'll help your woodsmanship. It will help all of those things. You guys got a full year to get in that base camp and get after it and learn from some of the best elk hunting coaches and elk hunting minds in the world. I've hunted with these guys. I share the, you know, I, I ride the river with these cats and I promise you y'all won't, y'all will not be disappointed. And I promise you, if you are disappointed, Joe will give you your money back. I promise you that. Uh, just Absolutely. to re- just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in Texas, 
in the Lone Star State. Husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Cutting. Garrett, thank you very much. And for all of our grinders out here, music from our brother, Tony Wintrip, closing out the show. Peace, peace, everybody. Peace out. You got I got my rigging pants on. Romeo's walking out to my Chevy. It's always honking at me. Knows when it's Friday night. Drawing booze cruising. Bush Live.